Tiffany, what are you looking for? Miss Erin, do you know that dinosaur I lost a couple weeks ago? I lost it again, and on top of that, my flashlight is not working. Oh, I am so sorry you lost your dinosaur. I know that was your favorite toy. It was. This is kind of a silly question, but is your flashlight turned on? Yeah, it's turned on. See, it's up. Hmm. So, no luck. No luck. Well, what about the battery? Have you checked the battery? Uh, nope. I have not checked the battery. Well, just screw the top off there, and there's, mm -hmm. you can see if it's even working. It's empty. Oh, no battery. You know what? I'm pretty sure I have a battery around here somewhere. Oh, wow, that'd be great. I can't remember where I put it. I know I saw, oh, here it is. It's in my pocket. Oh, what do you know? That should fit right in there. Awesome. All right, let's see if this works now. Oh, I hope it works. Me too. It worked! Oh, wow! It's just like the battery gave it its power. Without the battery, the flashlight ha couldn't work, but now that it has its power, it can work. Yep. All that flashlight needed was a little bit of power from the battery. And now that the flashlight's working, you can take it home and look for your dinosaur. And you don't have to stop there. You can take it all over your house and just look for all kinds of treasures. Maybe when you're taking a walk later, you can take your flashlight around your neighborhood. You can look for things in your neighborhood. You can even take it to the beach this summer when you go on vacation. And get this, if you got on an airplane and flew halfway across the world, that flashlight would still work as long as you Whoa. had the battery. Wow. That's pretty awesome, isn't yeah. it? We know that the Bible is true. The Bible is God's gift to us. God created the world and it was good, but sin entered the world and it was bad. So God sent Jesus into the world to rescue us. We have hope and we can share that hope with everyone. Today's skit came from the Bible. It came from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And this passage says, But the Holy Spirit will come to you. Then you will receive power. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, all of Samaria, and every part of the world. Wow, did you guys catch that? When the Holy Spirit comes to you, you will receive power. It's as if we are the flashlight and the Holy Spirit is the battery. When we accept Jesus and we have the Holy Spirit, we can shine the light of Jesus to everyone. People who are similar to us and people who are different to us. People who are near or people who are far away. We had a great time with you guys today. I would encourage you to go into your neighborhoods and to your grocery stores, maybe even when we can go back to parks into the parks and be a light for everyone you see. When we read God's word, there are three questions we can ask every time. And we have three things to help us remember those questions. The first thing is a picture frame. Inside of a picture frame, you have a picture, and that picture is a glimpse into someone, maybe a place you've been, or an event in your life. When we read God's Word, we can look at it and say, this is a glimpse into who God is. What is the scripture telling me about God? The second thing we have is a mirror. A mirror gives us a look at who we are. When we read God's Word, it can be a mirror into our hearts and lives. We can ask, what does this story or what does this passage tell me about who I am or about who we are? The last thing is the window. When you look through a window out into the world, you can see what's going on around you. 
When you read God's word, you can look at it and say, what does the scripture tell me about the people around me and the world around me and how I should interact with them? So just as a conclusion, anytime you read God's word, you can think of these three things. What is this telling me about who God is? What is this telling me about who I am? And what is this telling me about how I should interact with the world around me? We hope you guys have a wonderful week, and we had so much fun with you today. My name is Chad Osborne, and since October, it's been a privilege of mine to lead around a dozen interns through the Forum Internship Program. And I'm getting the word out now about the next round of Forum, which will start in October of this year, at the end of 2020. And at Forum, we discuss some biblical theology and some practical tools connected to that theology that uh, equip us in our life and ministry as disciples who make disciples. So who is form designed for? Well, there are, there are several expressions of form all over the world. Most of them are made up of college age and young adults. But here in Dayton, we've been blessed with a multi-generational expression of form made up of people from all walks of life. We've had a number of uh, retired physicians, a uh, retired nurse, uh, and we've had people in the middle of their career, um, a plumber, um, someone who works in real estate, a hairstylist, and of course we've had a number of college students as well, just people who had time to dedicate to this process. And in terms of leadership, we've had an elder, we've had a couple of house church shepherds, and we've also had people who have never led anything at all. So we've had this just wonderful, diverse group who just got to learn from each other. And we've got to learn together. We got to share life together and form great relationships. And we got to serve together. So if you're interested or if you know of someone who might be interested, you can send them to the website, apexcommunity.org form. And there they can get more information and where to apply and all that. Or um, you can have them contact me personally. I would love to have a conversation about it. Hi there, everyone. It's been great, hasn't it, to have Hugh with us this last week, if only virtually, but we know that he's been walking with us through these last few days, and it's been a tremendous encouragement to everyone who's been involved. Thanks to everyone who's helped to make that possible. And thank you to everyone who have really engaged with what it is that God's been saying through Hugh. It's been a tremendous time. And we're very much looking forward to what it is that God will say through Hugh uh, this last time today. It won't be the last time we hear from him, of course, but certainly uh, on this occasion. Before we get into that, I would like to just underline a couple of things that we've been saying over these last few weeks. The first is that we really do need to beef up our tech team right now. Chris has been doing a fantastic job, and the people in the team are excellent in every way that we could hope for or imagine. But we really do need more people to come alongside Chris, especially now that it would appear that we're going to need a lot more by way of help in our streaming capacity in the coming weeks and months. If we're to stream our services 
and make them available to the many, many people who have become familiar with logging on on Sundays, then we're going to need more people to help Chris. So if you could help, especially in the video and um, sound and tech side of what it is that Chris is doing, we'd love to hear from you. And really, don't hang around. We'd love to hear from you in these coming weeks. The next thing to say is that we have thought very carefully about when we should open again for public services here at Apex. We prayed about it consistently for several weeks. And taking the reading from other churches, even wider whole denominations, we are sensing that certainly the 31st of May will be the day that we restart public services here. Now, we're going to do that safely. We're going to do it with social distancing. And we're going to do it so that there are many places within the building that are places where we can take the opportunity for hand cleansing and all of that kind of thing. So we're going to do it responsibly, and we're going to do it carefully, and we're going to do it safely. It will mean that we'll be gathering as a whole church without the benefit of separate activities for the children. But that means that we will be engaging and training and teaching the children as part of our worship experience for the next few weeks. So do come along, bring the children with you. We'll have uh, lots of ways that we'll be wanting to interact with you in these coming days as to how you can make that the best possible experience for you and for your children. Now that's the 31st of May. So that we don't have a kind of sudden start to everything, we're going to have a gradual on-ramp. And so the week before the 31st, Sunday the 24th, we're going to have, as it were, a dress rehearsal. We're going to work out how we can do things like communion, for instance. How we can create space in this auditorium by having every other pew available how we can do the various different logistical things we need to do in the building. We're going to have live worship that week, and we're going to have a live sermon that week to kind of give us a way of working into what it is that, that God's got for us in these coming weeks and months. So if you're able to come on May the 24th to help us set up the building clean areas that need cleaning, help with some little bit of adjustments around the place, then we'd love to hear from you. We think maybe we'll need about 100 people to help us really get a grip on what's needed in the building when we go to full opening on the 31st. So let me just make that absolutely clear. On the 24th of May, we're going to have a dress rehearsal. We're going to have maybe 100 people in the building. And all the staff will be working with us to really make it possible for us to think through what the big safe opening is on the 31st of May. I realize the 24th is Memorial Weekend, uh, but it may be that uh, your plans can include helping us here at the Apex Building. Finally, uh, I'd like you to begin thinking and praying about a thank offering on May the 31st. Now, the thank offering, of course, is a thank offering to God for bringing us through the first phase of this crisis. 
The crisis is by no means over, and we realize that many vulnerable members of the population are really struggling. But we want to have a thank offering to thank God with our treasure, with our monetary resources, as the people of God have done down through the centuries. In the Old Testament, the New Testament, and right the way through church history, the people of God have taken opportunities like this to really demonstrate that they're grateful to God for what it is that he's done. And so we will be taking a special thank offering that Sunday. And it will help us to, as it were, get started again for the new season of mission and ministry here at Apex. Like so many other churches, we've taken some serious financial hits in the last few weeks. Some of that is because we've wanted to focus our attention on people who are certainly struggling much more than we are in different parts of the world. It's also been necessary for us to recognize that, that all of us are trying to work out where our finances are. The people who have suffered the most during this lockdown are those who have the least resources. We only heard just a couple of days ago from the chairman of the Federal Reserve that families who are the poorest have been the ones who have most likely lost their jobs. And so we realize that this is a time of financial pain for many of us. Sally, uh, my wife, has been looking at the way in which her publishing business has struggled in these last few months. And I know many of us have gone through similar challenges. But God is bringing us out of the first phase of this global challenge. And we want to bring thanks to him and we want to bring thanks in generosity to him for all that he's done for us. The generosity is not focused on him, of course, because we can't give him anything that will add anything to his life. But we can, in our generosity, give to the work of God, to the mission of God, to the ministry of God's people, and so thereby demonstrate our gratitude to him for all that he's done for us through this time. So be praying about the 31st of May as a time for us to regather as whole families and as the whole family of Apex. And let's use that as a great day of thanksgiving and offering. We're looking forward to it. And of course, we'll be back with you through the week as we share in the daily devotions and in the other resources on our website and through social media. God bless. We'll be seeing you soon. Well, hey, Hugh Halter here. Nice to see you all again. Hopefully, uh, last couple days you've been doing well. Wanted to give you a little idea of my life. This is Post Commons, little school bus that the Halters have been renovating uh, in hopes of some day getting away from all this work. But uh, found out the other day that it might be four months before I can get somebody to inspect this thing so we can get on the road. But anyway, it was a nice idea. Some. Uh, hope for a vacation or whatever, but uh, inside that door is, uh, we've been actually painting all day. This is not a gimmick, this is oil-based paint, and I didn't buy any paint thinner, so I'm in a bit of a pickle uh, trying to clean myself up, but then I thought, well, 
we're going to have a little talk anyway about missional life. We might as well just do it in real life. So we're going to call this sermon, um, maybe a title would be Stuck Between Coats. Uh, we might also call this A Day in the Life. But uh, so far what we've been chatting about the last couple, I actually, I realize I look totally ridiculous. So anyway, forgive me, but um, this is what we're really talking about. We, we've been talking about being sent, right? That, that our calling includes a sense of sentness. Then we talked about how we're sent, that we're sent the way of Jesus. And uh, we kind of camped on the word incarnation a little bit about uh, actually taking on the humanity of Jesus. So the reality is, is that everything we've been talking about is not about ministry. It's, um, I know we always kind of think of it like that. Like when you hear ministry ideas, you go, okay, that's about like reaching people. But in reality, um, this whole thing that Jesus set up is about life. He came and offered us life, right? Uh, Zoe, a certain type of a life that uh, is not the life that the rest of the world lives. And so um, what you find is that the way of the kingdom and the way of Jesus is not offered to religious paid professionals. This, um, the world that we've been talking about is it's for normal guys, for painters and for teachers and for plumbers and for house dads and house moms and people that are literally stuck between coats. I, I guess the metaphor is that life just happens and the the ways of God that move through our lives, they're not just, you can't plan them. They're, they have to be kind of along the way. And uh, so really, I know that Mike wanted me to talk a little bit about sustaining a missionary life or a missional life because I think he also, you know, he's old, he's getting older, you can tell. We're both getting old, but, um, you know, when you get old, you start to realize that the, I guess the whole game of this is to, to stay in it, to sustain, uh, not to just be a flash in the pan, but the power of our lives is really, um, the story of our lives over time and our ability to, to not, you know, flame out, to not, um, lose our minds or to get cynical, but to just always be consistently moving and, and walking with Jesus and so really, you know, this talk is going to be more about you and about um, your ability to sustain this really radical call of following Jesus. So um, I just want to give you some more practicals today. But, but as an overarching theme, just try to remember that um, when Jesus came, like Mark 1.14, I think it's the very first time that he came announcing the kingdom of God. And, you know, the first book I wrote was called The Tangible Kingdom. And that was a story of me after 15 years of full-time ministry, realizing that I was, I had not based my ministry or my life on the teachings of Jesus. Um, I actually had, had never heard a sermon on the kingdom of God. I, when, when I heard the term kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, that was always where you go after you die. And so in my evangelical upbringing, you would try to share the gospel and it was always about, you know, after you kick it, after you're done. Um, and I had an experience with a, a waitress in a bar in New York City, and in that um, I learned, and I don't have time to go into that, you could always read The Tangible Kingdom if you want to hear that story, but that was the first time that I realized that the kingdom of heaven, or the offer of kingdom life by Jesus, it's for now. It's As he said, it's at hand, and so 
um, what it means is that good news isn't just for the world. So when we talk about living missionally or living the way of Jesus, we might frame it in the context of, oh, we're going to go give the world good news. But before you can really give the, the world good news, you actually, at some point in your adult life, you have to decide if you're going to live according to good news um, or just talk about it. And that's an issue of lifestyle. It's an issue of paint on your hands. And then a half hour later, spending maybe an hour with somebody chatting with them, um, like I did just this morning with a young man that's a bartender here, um, out of kind of a suicidal way of thinking. And then we worked together for a while, and then he left, and he said he felt amazingly better. And then I went back to painting, and that, that kind of is, you know, to me, it was kind of good news. It was a great day. I'm still I'm stuck here tonight, probably till nine o'clock. But that's the that's sort of what happens along the way. Things just don't go like you would expect. And so at some point, you have to anchor your life in the fact that God's giving you an, an opportunity to allow him to work all throughout the day and throughout the evening. And so, um, so let's just do a reminder. A disciple is somebody that learns to live their humanity or patterns their humanity after the life of Jesus. And he was, uh, he drew people. They wanted to hear what he had to say. They said, man, he teaches like somebody that actually has authority. Um, unlike the scribes and the Pharisees, what, what do they mean by that? Well, we, we know his life. There's something about him as a person, his humanity that, that just draws us to him. There's a respect because of what we see in his life. And so a disciple is somebody that learns to pattern their lives after the life of Jesus. And that's not a ministry thing. That's a life thing. So we essentially go to school to learn how to be like Jesus. And so I want to give you a couple ideas and, and ways that um, have helped me. And honestly, I, I kind of come at this a little emotional because I was reflecting today on my early life. It's like it was my old life. It was a life where I loved Jesus and I was in ministry. I was pastoring a church. But I don't know if I had any good news going on in my life. Um, one particular day, Cheryl um, asked me if we could have a talk in the kitchen. And I don't know how your marriage goes, but when your spouse asks you if you can have a talk, like I knew I was in the doghouse. And so I said, well, yeah, I actually, I think I got kind of defensive. I'm like, well, yeah, what do you want to talk about? And she said this, she said, hey, babe, I just want you to know that I love you and I'm never going to leave you. To which I said, yeah, what else? She says, well, if you continue to be this stressed out and this anxious and this exhausted and you give all of your time and emotional energy to all these other people and then you come home at night and you're cranky with me and the kids and you're too stressed out for Sunday to even take me out on a date on Friday night, she said, I'll never leave you, but I don't know if I'm ever going to enjoy living with you even one day. And I didn't say anything because I didn't know what to say. I thought I was a really good guy. I thought I was a good husband and a good dad. I thought I was being a good pastor, doing the best I could. Um, and then she brought my five-year-old daughter, Allie, in. And she said, Allie, tell Daddy what you said about him the other day. And Allie said, Daddy sucks. Daddy sucks. So, you know, you think about that. You go, look, I'm a minister proclaiming the good news to the world. 
And yet, if you were to try to pull back the covers in my own family and my own life, maybe you would have to, you know, work pretty hard to find any good news. So I just want to throw that out to you that you are the commodity to Jesus. You're actually, uh, he actually says you're like letters that the world reads. And so I'm just going to pass out all these pamphlets to the world. It's you guys. And as they read your lives, I want them to be able to go, oh, there's something preferable about the way that these people live. And so that's the opportunity for you. It's, um, I don't think Mike or your leadership really care how much you do for Jesus as much as they care that you actually walk with Jesus and learn to receive his good news for your life. And so we're going to talk a little bit about boundaries and how to maybe bring a little bit more good news. Because that, that conversation with Cheryl is when I called for a coach. I actually called a buddy of mine. And said, my kids think I suck. My wife didn't say it like that, but I think she agrees with them. And I need help. And so I began about a three-year journey, what I would call a spiritual formation journey, to try to pattern my life a little bit more after Jesus. And uh, I remember my coach said, um, when you get to where you actually want the kingdom of God to enter your own family, your own life, you have to be willing um, not to count the things you used to count. Like you actually have to be okay if maybe um, ministry, you know, stuff doesn't happen. You know, you have to actually create a new metric. You start to look at character change and more of a peacefulness about your life, less anxiety, um, more free time, um, less sense of trying to coerce or get other people to do things, less, less judgment, um, a little bit more love for your own self. And so all these things, like you said, like if you're willing to actually go down that journey, then um, then maybe the good news can actually enter your own family again. So here's a couple things. Maybe uh, take a note. Um, number one, I just put down, um, don't go back. Don't go back. So my wake-up call with Cheryl and Allie, that was a wake-up call to, to just settle the issue. I, I do want to grow. I don't want to go back to the same old person. Um, COVID... And this pandemic, I don't know about you, but I don't know if I've done that good on this pandemic. I think I've done better on other pandemics. Actually, we haven't had a pandemic. So that's why this is like a reboot opportunity for the whole world. It's like amazing thought, isn't it? Like we're always trying to get things to happen in the world. So maybe God can get our attention. Bingo. Uh, God is like giving us all a timeout. Um, maybe even a little spanking in a lot of ways. Um, that's okay because he says he disciplines those he loves, right? And so, yeah, we're all getting a little bit of a loving spanking right now. And daddy is going, uh, rethink it, guys. Rethink it. Maybe the things in the way that you've lived in the past does not have to be the way that you move forward. So I just want to tell you, you don't have to go back. Um, this can be a complete reboot moment. No, are you going to be 80% a different person? No, but you can actually decide that things are going to change and get there. So secondly, I want to say, um, write down the words, own it, own it. Um, the scriptures say that Jesus is your author and perfecter. Okay. He authored you. Um, he started you. He knew when you were going to start. He knows when you're going to be over, right? He's actually uh, numbered the hairs on 16 on Halter's head. I wish it said they numbered the hairs on your beard, but they didn't the head. Um, 
but he authored you and he will perfect you. Um, your faith, which he says is more precious to God than anything. In other words, your spiritual growth is the, is the metric that God uses to judge you, not whether or not you reach your friends for God, right? So since he authored you, and then later he says he bought you back, he redeemed you. So since he owns you, he bought you with a price, and he authored you, you now need to own it. You know, like you have to like go, the, the world is not going to run my schedule anymore. I'm not going to run at the pace of the world. Um, I am the Lord's. I am, uh, he could call us a slave, right? Because he bought us like that. But he says he doesn't, he calls us a friend. So I voluntarily am going to work with God so that this thing that he values and purchased with his blood doesn't go to waste or doesn't go the way of the world. And so, you know, owning it means that um, you don't run at the pace you used to. You don't um, march to the drumbeat of your in-laws or what your other friends do in their life. You literally, you follow Jesus, right? And so here's a couple things that um, have really helped me personally and really helped Cheryl. It was kind of a rebirth for us. Um, and I, I talked to mostly leaders about this, but, um, you know, people in our own congregation, I would actually have them join me on Sunday night because I taught them about having some time in your week where you plan the next week and you, you do it prayerfully. So Sunday night was, um, became sort of my night and I would pour a nice Cabernet and I would light a candle and I would grab a Bible. I would get my day timer and I would call Cheryl in and we would, we'd spend the first half hours talking about the week now, Ryan, of course, I shared was having a lot of epileptic seizures, and so anything could change anything with him. But, um, you know, she would come in, and we would sit there, and we would talk about the hockey schedule for the girls, and we would talk about how Ryan was doing, and our girls actually traveled a lot for hockey, so we'd have to decide, you know, are you going to Detroit, or am I going to the Canadian trip, or who's going to be home, and how we would manage that. But we would always in that time, you know, we would sort of set the family schedule because we thought if we set good news, the gospel in our family first, then then at least we're off to a good start. So um, we'd make sure that we're spending quality time with the kids. We, we would pick nights where we'd say, let's both go to the hockey rink and be together. It's just uh, maybe get a babysitter for Ryan. Let's go have dinner before that. So we, that's kind of when we would plan our one or two times of the week that we get some special time together. Um, we always would have two coffees though. It was something that was kind of our mainstay. We just said, it seemed like when we would have a morning cup of coffee together before things started and then, uh, afternoon cup before dinner, um, it's almost like anything could go terrible with Ryan and we still would have a decent day cause we would have those two touch points. But then other than that, we would, we'd work the schedule, right? Um, we'd have a couple special things that we would do. I would, you know, we never got the weekly date in let, that people tell you to do, but about every every couple of weeks we'd do something kind of special together. But it all happened because we took time to really talk through the week. Um, what what I found is if I didn't do the Sunday night planning, then the world dictated my schedule. Anything would happen during the day, and and I would just jump to it. So I would stop working out. I got a little overweight. Then I, you know, you start to get sick. Um, interestingly, Jesus created us as very holistic beings. So when you don't feel well physically, um, then you do get sick and then you don't do all sorts of things that you would love to do. And so, um, you know, my coach said, why don't you prioritize you since God does? And I was like, well, how do you do that? He said, well, you, 
you make sure that the good news happens in your family first. So schedule it. Actually put it in there, you know, Monday through Saturday, what you're doing with your family. And then put down your normal work. And so I was a house painter during a lot of this time. And uh, so I would put, actually block out the times I was painting. And then Cheryl and I would find, you know, uh, we always kind of had a goal. It didn't matter how bad Ryan was doing. We said, let's try to share three to five meals a week with people. And how that really came down to was um, we would generally during the week, Monday through Friday, we'd usually pick one night of the week um, and have one or two, maybe three couples over for dinner. And then I would meet a few guys for breakfast before work every once in a while. And she would have a few women over maybe once a week for lunch or something like that. But we would just, we knew we'd had, we had to eat 21 meals, whether or not Ryan was struggling or not. So we just said, let's just give some of those away. So it became kind of a pattern. Um, and then we would generally throw a big party on the weekend, a Bronco, you know, football game party or something like that. So it seemed like every week there was like two formal kind of informal ministry functions, a big party. Um, and then every other week we would have kind of a, almost like a Bible study with people. So, but that wasn't every week, but we would schedule that. And so we knew it was coming. And then we, we would identify, oh, it looks like Tuesday and Wednesday this week, there's no hockey practice. So those are open nights. And we would allow those open nights to be filled if the Lord did something. And then if not, we just enjoyed the night together. We found that, um, and this was, you know, we wrote about this in the Tangible Kingdom. People thought we were just out with people all the time, but we were home together as a family five nights a week. It seemed like two nights a week there was some type of um, sort of mission to people type of thing. And that seemed doable for us. So, but all that happened because we actually committed to a schedule. We just said, we're going to run our own schedule. God bought us. He purchased us. He owns us. So he gets the first crack at us. And we want good news to hit our family. So maybe that will help. If you've never scheduled uh, or done a schedule as a family, maybe consider that. Um, I always say if you put something on the calendar, it generally happens. Uh, if you don't put it on the calendar... It generally isn't going to happen. It will get filled with something, and what you'll find is it will get filled with things that, that might burn you out or waste time. So um, consider that. Own your schedule. Um, be true to who God made you to be, too. You know, so part of that is, you know, um, at the time I was a pastor, I thought I had to say yes to every everybody, everybody that wanted to meet, and I started to realize that um, I'm not that good at, like, a counseling thing or... So I just, you know, that started to help me to go, no, I'm going to primarily hang out with lost people because I love that. I enjoy it. I seem to be better at that. The Lord seems to work in me with that. And so if I had any spare time, it was with friends that didn't know Jesus or with other leaders that were leading communities. And it seemed like both those were fun and they they bore fruit. I had a lot of people that would ask just to hang out and I just had to start going. Look, I wish I could, but I just can't. Um, and so that, that became kind of a, a way that I began to re-own my own life. Um, my family used to want to get together and have Sunday lunch. Uh, that was on Cheryl's side. That's what they used to do. And um, I didn't like that every week. And so we, we had to have a talk about that as a couple and, and go, look, we can't let our in-laws run our world anymore. They have expectations and, and things that they used to always do, but that we can't keep up good news in our family and still really be a missional family if we always are doing what everybody else wants us to do. So you might have to have some hard talks, but 
Um, some of that scheduling is to help you identify the things that um, maybe need to shift or adjust or be minimized a little bit or completely go away. So um, just consider that. Secondly, or thirdly, I don't know what number we're on. Um, think about flexible boundaries in your life instead of having balance. I always hear couples go, well, we're shooting to have a balanced life. Uh, FYI, you will never have a balanced life. What you have in scripture are more um, seasons, right? Um, you have opportunity times where, you know, when the sun's up, it says harvest, right? Um, you have, you know, it's almost like the seasons come and go and we adjust to the seasons. Um, when you have young kids, first child, um, screaming babies all night, toddlers, um, you, you can't have balance. You know, they own you. They, you don't get to run the show, right? So the goal in that is not balance. It's actually just flexible boundaries. Uh, so like I said, you, you might say, hey, for us as a couple, we need to be together five, maybe six nights a week. But you might say, but we think we can stretch one night a week. There's other people that are empty nesters. Uh, so Cheryl and I, you know, right now Ryan's still living with us, but um, he has less needs physically. So if he wasn't in our life still and we were empty nesters, like a lot of my friends are, there's nobody bugging you. You're almost like you're a single couple. You can do whatever you want. So in those seasons, run a little harder. Um, I, in fact, um, I don't know why this is the case, but uh, people in their late 40s to early 60s uh, form what's known as the fastest growing group of Christians in the world. It's called the Duns, the ones that have put in our time we're done going to church. We're done. We're just done. We're going to go golf or whatever it is. Um, I feel like that's such a waste of the people that can actually run the strongest. When you're single or you're empty nester, you should be the engine of the church. You guys are the ones that have homes now. You got maybe a little extra income. You've got some wisdom from life, right? Um, and you know how to cook. So I always go, if you're empty nesters, get back in the game. You know, don't don't wait for the youngies to do it. Actually, be the moms and dads in the community. It's what elders actually meant. The, the older, mature ones that can teach us how to live. So get back in the game and uh, help our, our young couples even watch their kids for them. So Cheryl and I do for people in our community. When they want to go do mission, we'll go, hey, bring your kids over. We'll watch them for you. So we play lots of different roles, but it's because of the season of life that we're in. So in each season, figure out what are our flexible boundaries um, instead of balance, all right? Oftentimes, like when Cheryl and I would try to shoot for balance, we were, were always angry with each other because something screwed up the balance. We finally realized, oh, <laughs> we're shooting for the wrong thing. What we should shoot for is an agreement upon how many nights a week we need to be home as a family to really feel connected and uh, that we're in control of our lives and that our kids are getting the right time. Um, but then on those nights that we're gone, then we coach our kids. Yeah, um, life isn't just about you kids. There's other people that God's asked us to care about. So that's why dad's heading out to the bar with the boys tonight. So pray for daddy. He loves these guys and is trying to help them out and tell them about Jesus. And so we would mentor and coach our kids and uh, and have kind of a balanced, flexible boundary. Got it? I said balance, so I didn't mean balance, just flexible boundaries. So I think you get the point, all right? Fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever. Um, consider, and again, this is about how to live the life, right? How to have good news. 
take seriously downward mobility. We, we talked a little bit about it the other, um, I think Thursday night, but most of American culture is what we call upwardly mobile. So, um, you know, when you start off in, in an American value system, you are told that you need to go to college so you can get a good job so you can buy your first car and then get a second job a little bit better so you can buy your first house and then a, a better car and then later on keep you know upgrading your job even move even if you can make an extra seven grand move across country uproot your family so you can make a little bit more money so you can buy a little bit bigger house that's what we call an upwardly mobile way of thinking uh, when jesus bought you his life is now going to start to take root in you and his life was a downwardly mobile life so we talked about the cruciform way of jesus uh it's the philippians 2 it's it's actually it's just been a spiritual formation um sort of guide for people for a hundred years many years um people talked about in the sixth century a cruciform life that you go downward so Cheryl and I, interestingly, when we moved to Alton from Denver, um, Denver, very high, you know, real estate market, we sold kind of a, you know, a low end ranch for about a million bucks. And we came to this town that was one of the poorest in the, in the country. It was the first time in our lives that we had money and, um, or at least didn't have any debt. We had a little nest egg. And so we bought our daughter a little crack house for 12 grand. We bought our other daughter a house for 40,000. And then we bought this beautiful Victorian house for a couple hundred thousand dollars. Um, and we would, we kind of joked about it like, wow, we can actually afford one of the nicer homes in this town because this town's so bombed out. Um, real estate's terrible here. And about a year or two in, you know, we're fixing up the post and there's so much work that we were doing here that Cheryl would say, hey, would you mind helping us weed back at the home? And our house was so big, we actually it came with an entire city block as its backyard. So she said, hey, we need to do a little weeding around the house. I would like lose my, you know what, and go, I don't want to weed a quarter acre. Like, I'm tired. And so we had a big talk about it. We're like, yeah, we bought the house because we could. But why don't we downsize? Let's buy a smaller house. And, you know, Mike's seen the smaller house. Smaller house pretty nice, too. But it, it was less and there was less work to be done on it and it cost less, saved us about a thousand bucks a month. And in Denver, we needed, you know, $10,000 a month to live just to be a normal middle income family in Denver. And Alton, we realized, wow, we could actually live really comfortably for 4,500, maybe 4,000. So Cheryl and I, since we've been here four years, we've been on this really consistent downward journey, completely getting out of debt and downsizing our home um, minimizing how much stuff we have, giving a lot of our stuff away. And we've just found that there's something that begins to unlock in your lives when you, when you go down. Um, and you just don't need as much. I don't have to be on the road as much, uh, which means that there's times where I actually have free time and we have extra money. And so we do really cool stuff for people. And so to me, that's just a, that's part of a life. If you try to keep up with the Joneses, you try to keep up with the American um, get everything you can out of life and make as much money and work as hard as everybody else, you will have a really hard time living the Jesus life. And you will find that you'll just be frustrated. You'll want all these, you know, 
amazing experiences with the Lord and to see his power happen in your life, but you just won't be available. But you know, a little extra credit, the, the whole issue of being a disciple is kind of based on just one thing. Like literally, if you think about it, um, it can happen if you have this. If you never have this, it doesn't matter what you believe about Jesus. You just won't experience. And that one thing is availability. Am I, if Jesus said, hey, let's go do this today, or if he leads this conversation with a friend, or, and you just don't have the time or the energy, you will be the one that, that misses out on the good stuff, the good news, right? So um, just keep that in mind. Um, try to live on less, try to need less, try to give away more, and you'll just find that you'll, you know, as Jesus said, if you want to gain your life, lose it. So <laughs> if you want to really experience me, unload it. That's another reason why he said the ones that are going to have the hardest time with this kingdom experience are those uh, that are rich. Harder for a rich person, somebody that has their mind set on all these things, to actually enter the kingdom. That, that wasn't an entrance into heaven. That was a day by day. You're going to have a hard time entering this Zoe life that I offer you unless uh, you become a little bit less rich. You know, it's, it's that simple to him. So consider that. Um, another point, um, maybe write down spirituality along the way. Okay. Um, when I was younger, when somebody said, how's your walk with the Lord going? We used to judge our walk with the Lord almost entirely on whether or not we had our, as we call it, quiet time with the Lord. So if I got my quiet time in, I would go, oh, I'm, I'm doing great with the Lord. And if I missed it for a day or two, I'd go, oh, geez, I'm, I'm terrible. God should just like take me now. Um, Jesus doesn't judge us, our faith, by whether or not we pray for an hour or read scripture, okay? Uh, the early Christians, most of them did not even have a Bible, okay? They did not have devotionals. Um, they actually had, you know, memory of Scripture that they had memorized maybe as a young Jewish boy or Jewish girl or something like that. They just didn't have what we have. They couldn't download sermons or anything. They had to actually just learn how to walk with the Holy Spirit. And so their spirituality was a little bit more, what I would say, along the way. So with Ryan's epilepsy, and not getting a lot of sleep, um, you know, for about 15 years, I didn't really sleep in our bedroom. I'd sleep next to Ryan because he'd have most of his seizures at night. And so uh, they would happen almost every hour. So I got maybe a combined hour of sleep a night, maybe two. Um, so I was pretty exhausted. And uh, remember, I was in seminary and I took a contemplative spirituality class. And I kept falling asleep and I, the instructor eventually kicked me out. He said, you're distracting the class by snoring. And, uh, so I had to learn a different type of spirituality of just, you know, I'd have my, my scriptures next to me on in the truck. And so I would read scripture in different times. I would pray as I drove with my eyes open. Uh, I was so tired that if I shut my eyes to pray, it was lights out night, night time. So, um, be okay with uh, more what we call aesthetic spirituality, that um, you connect with God through action and through walking and through talking. Um, doesn't mean that having a, an hour with the Lord by the fire with your Bible and a candle isn't going to be awesome. But for most of us, if we're trying to get that in to be successful spiritually, you're going to always feel like you're not doing that well. And the Lord's way above that. Um, he, you, can, you can talk with him all day long. And I find that that I do, um, and 
it's a better way for me. Like uh, I actually connect with God through my senses, through being with people. And I do, I just talk with them all day long. And so uh, maybe that will help a little bit. But all these things are really about the life. Um, at the end of the day, you'll find that if you just have a consistent uh, time to schedule, that you mentor your family to just walk in the ways of Jesus together. If you open your table, just eat with people. Um, if you protect most of your nights for your family and then you give a few away, if you eat most of your, your meals with those that you're most comfortable with, but you give a few away to people that you don't, over time and over your life, you will see an incredible sense of spiritual momentum. I think you'll, you'll, you'll sense that the Lord has been with you and that you've been walking with him and that he's been walking with you. So, um, trust me, he'll take care of people finding him, um, you have no power to convince or convict anybody of sin, righteousness, or holiness. That's why he sends the Holy Spirit. Um, but, you know, maybe as a parting shot, um, Jesus came for the good news. He announced it. He asked us to repent, turn around, and, uh, you know, commit our lives to a totally new opportunity. And the good news is for you. Like, receive the good news. Be reconciled back to God and consider his ways so that someday your kids will not say that you suck. All right? So love you guys. Love Apex. Love Mike and Sally. And it's been really fun to be with you guys. So take care. And um, you know where to find me, hopefully on this bus moving down the road someday. So, all right. Bye -bye. I'm no longer a slave to fear.